You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Welcome to the show, Canada, coast to coast to coast, beautiful country. There is a lot going on on this July 26th. I'm in the, uh, the booth here with my producer and pal, Samantha Pope. And speaking of the Pope, the Pope is also, and it's all Pope, it's all Pope all the time here. Samantha Pope is here, and the Pope himself is about to perform a Mass underway at Commonwealth Stadium in Edmonton. Uh, it is sold out. People around the world are watching the public Mass. If he speaks, again, of course, we will bring it to you live. This uh, is a day after the Pope issued an historic Apology, I'm deeply sorry. I thought it was authentic and powerful and historic and important and healing. And we'll speak to some Indigenous leaders about that today, including the National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, Chief Roseanne Archibald. But it was also carefully worded. And I said this on the Twitter machine yesterday, and I want to reiterate it. The Pope was careful. The Pope was very carefully wording his statement. He did not say the church takes responsibility. The church ran residential schools. The church, he did not say that. And let's be clear. He said very clearly, members of the church, members of the church. I am deeply sorry, sorry for ways in which, regrettably, many Christians supported the colonizing mentality of the powers that oppress the indigenous people. And then he went on to say, so, so it was many people. I ask forgiveness in particular for the ways in which many members of the church and of religious communities cooperated, not least through their indifference in projects of cultural destruction and forced assimilation promoted by the governments of that time, which culminated in the system of residential schools. So he does not say the church itself. He says members of the church. He talks about a colonizing mentality. Remember, I'm not trying to let governments off the hook here. Governments are on the hook. Governments are responsible. We know that. But so too, candidly, is the church. The church, after all, legitimized colonization with its infamous doctrine of discovery, which gave theological legitimacy to wherever you plant your flag and you are European, you can claim it as a colony. Indigenous leaders want that rescinded. It was not. And then the Pope also said this. This is very important. I am sorry. That's important. But it is an important part of this process will be to conduct a serious investigation into the facts that took place. Now, I do not doubt the authenticity of the Pope, of course. But this moment, and and the great Tanya Talaga, the writer, columnist, thinker, and, and indigenous writer who's there, was on the plane with the Pope, also pointed this out yesterday. We've had an investigation It's called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, 2007 to 2015. 
7,000 survivors re-traumatize themselves. So the idea that it's like, okay, now we're sorry. Now let's look at it. We have looked at it. Going back to square one is not helpful. So I'm, I'm hoping that the Pope moves on on that. And we'll see what happens today. Now, today we're going to talk about trust. That is the theme of the program today. Because the Pope is here to reestablish trust of the church and indigenous populations, right? We have sinned against you. We have committed crimes against you. He says members of the church, but the church has an institution and members of the church. Let's be clear. And he's trying to rebuild trust, and he's doing it. He's here. He's facing people. That's good. I think, frankly, his words have been lawyered at some point. But I think he's trying to rebuild trust. But how do we trust people? How do we trust institutions in a time of distrust? We are in the greatest moment of distrust and cynicism in our democracies, maybe ever. The internet, which was supposed to connect people, has disconnected people. The pandemic isolated us, and people went into their little boxes, down their own rabbit holes. And we don't, there's no consensus of belief. Political parties and politicians are weaponizing doubt in a way that I've never seen before. And then the thing that, that has really struck me, and we'll talk about this later in the show, is Danielle Smith. I want to talk about her now, and you might think, who the hell is Danielle Smith? Let me tell you. Danielle Smith was a former radio host. Then she was the leader of the Wild Rose Party. Then she crossed the floor to join the PCs. Then she was lost her seat and booted out. Now she's running to replace Jason Kenney. And she's the front runner. I've spoken at Danielle many, many times, and recently I've spoken to her. I like Danielle. I don't know what's happened to her, though. And I know Danielle likes to now uh, attack mainstream media. That's all part of this self-victimization narrative that is the setup. You know, if you're going to now peddle conspiracy theories that are painful the first thing you have to do is pretend you're a victim. That's important because you have to establish your bona fides. So this is the this is the this is the the menu. First, you say everyone's against me. Mainstream media is against me. It's all about liberal elites, Laurentian elites, all these liberal media, mainstream media's. They're all part of the government. I'm the victim. It's a conspiracy. And then, even though that's not true, even though if you do any test of um, talk radio and Newspapers, there's more conservative-leaning talk radio and newspapers in the country significantly than left by far, but it doesn't matter. The conspiracy theories and narrative of self-victimization is not contingent on facts, it's contingent on noise. And then you can peddle anything you want. You distrust the government, you distrust elections. And Danielle Smith recently said something very damaging. She was on a interviewing and, and, and speaking to a naturopath for an hour. I'm not going to, I have no thoughts on naturopathic medicine, but she did say this, and she's going to likely become the premier. Well, we don't know, but she's a front runner. She said that cancer is completely within your control until the disease reaches stage four. Once you've arrived and got stage four cancer, she says, and there's radiation and surgery and chemotherapy, there's an incredibly expensive intervention, not just for the system, 
but also expensive in the toll it takes on the body. I think about everything that's built before you get to stage four in that diagnosis. That's completely within your control. And there's something you can do about that that's different. And then the naturopath says, yes, sure, sure. Jason uh, Markasoff, my old colleague at McLean's, has written a great article about this. So has uh, Don Braid. Now, l- let me just tell you something real quick. And I'm not a doctor. Neither is Danielle Smith. And do you, do, you get, do, you, do you think I'm on radio? She was a talk radio host. You think I'm on radio saying, let me tell you how to deal with your cancer. And then you'd, email, you'd, you'd text me at 71010 and say, hey, Solomon, shut your pie hole. Don't tell me how to deal with cancer. Don't tell me that you're completely responsible It's within your control until stage four. What happened to the kids? You think it's completely in the child's control when you have have kids get cancer? That is such dangerous BS. And she's tried to extrapolate. Oh, I'm apologizing. I was taken out of context. No, you weren't. Own your words. You're someone who was peddling hydroxychloroquine that cures 100% of the coronavirus within six days of treatment. Bogus. Wrong. She's someone that has a long history of peddling falsities, including falsities about Alberta's ability to veto federal government laws. Here's the issue, and we're going to talk about it today with Hockey Canada, and we're going to talk about it with the Pope, and we're going to talk about it with politics. The road to distrust, when you look at it, it's one thing to be skeptical, but when you distrust experts, you end up giving advice that could cost people their lives we'll be right back instant access to real people real stories the evan solomon show is on the iHeartRadio talk network hey canada welcome back to the big show uh man we have a lot coming up The Pope is uh, doing his mass. We'll take you live there. We'll speak to some people who met the Pope. Survivors of residential institutions. We're we're going to meet Greg Gilhooly as well, because Hockey Canada is in the hot seat. They're at committee today. They've got their, they they had an action plan yesterday to try to get rid of the toxic culture as investigations into the 2018 junior team and now the 2003 team for sexual abuse are there. Now that we know that they had basically a slush fund, a fund that... You and I probably paid our money to put kids or to pay for your own hockey, uh, and that those that that money was not paid. Used some of it for your kids, for refs, for ice. It was used to pay off a hush, hush, hush. Keep quiet. Abuse allegations that you never heard about. That's not transparent. That's bogus. And now their funding's been frozen rightly. And we're going to speak to Greg Gilhooly. Now you think, oh, is, is he a lawyer? Sort of. He's a, he's a lawyer, of course, but he's more than that. Years ago, I read his book, I Am Nobody, Confronting the Sexually Abusive Coach Who Stole My Life. Greg was a very, very good hockey player, going to be a professional. And then he was sexually abused. He was big, strong, active guy, and a coach groomed him and sexually abused him. And he wrote an incredibly powerful book about it. Now he's a lawyer. So he's a hockey player who was sexually abused, became a lawyer. What does he think about this? How Hockey Canada has handled this. By the way, brutally. 
So Greg's going to join us. You wait to hear this guy. Greg is a very powerful person. Uh, the National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations is going to join us, of course, about the Pope. But I talked about trust. I want to pick something up about that. And you can text me as well. Because a lot of people don't trust the media. Fair. They don't trust politicians. Fair. They don't trust lawyers. Fair. They don't trust scientists. They don't believe the COVID stuff has made them distrust science and vaccines. They don't trust the banks. They think they're all ripped. And like there's a lot of distrust. And then you got politicians like Danielle Smith who are, are essentially... campaigning on distrust right down to the idea that don't trust the doctors. If you have cancer, you can handle it up to stage four. Not true. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Doctors are, 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 it's painful to hear and it's painful to hear her try to deny it. Yes, there's more options before you get to stage four. It's not what she said. She also wants to introduce something called the Alberta Sovereignty Act. Authorizing, quote, our provincial government to refuse to enforce any federal law or policy that attacks Alberta's interests. Or our provincial rights. I I like the idea of provinces making sure that their jurisdiction is intact. But you can't do that. The Alberta Sovereignty Act, that's not how our, 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 our federation works. You can't just refuse a federal law because you think it attacks your interest. Oh, it's a federal law. Let, you, I don't like the government and their law on, I don't know, let's, let's take a controversial law, like the, the National Gun Registry that no longer is in existence. Oh, we don't like it. We're, uh, you can't do that. It's not how it works. That's not in your provincial jurisdiction to opt out. And you're selling that to people like it's true. It is not true. It's a joke. The Alberta Sovereignty Act is like, I want to take be a a nation. It doesn't work in our federation. Constitutional lawyers laugh at it. You can't just decide we're going to pass a legislation provincially and do an end run around the Constitution. Not the way it works. But she's peddling it anyway. Now, she could say we want a better, more autonomy, like Quebec. Fair enough. The federal government can negotiate those things. She may not like the, I mean, Alberta's kind of, I mean, she's kind of hilarious, right? Because she, healthcare is provincial jurisdiction, but the, but the federal government provides the money. She doesn't mind that, though. That's good. The Canadian health transfers are good. Send us money, that's good, but don't tell us what to do with it. And so you think to yourself, why do people believe this stuff? Why do people buy that? Why do people follow that? Why don't people just say, sorry, that's ridiculous. Don't, don't, you're running for the, the, to be the premier. You're going to be in charge. The largest budget item for every premier is health care. And you've got someone who wants to be the premier telling people that, you know what? Once, before you get to stage four cancer, it's all completely within your control. There's something you can do about it that's different. No. 
There's lots you can do about it. Why don't you leave that one to the doctors, Danielle? I don't think premiers should be pretend acting like doctors. I'm not a doctor, but I play one when I'm playing premier. Don't hawk hydroxychloroquine. Wait till there are medical studies. Now, they may change. But but I was listening to this. So why do people trust? Now, look, there's reasons for distrust. Let's say that off the top. There's reasons why people distrust governments, because governments have lied. Governments have been incompetent. Governments haven't been transparent. There's reasons why people don't trust Hockey Canada, because they've lied. They haven't been transparent. There's reasons why people don't trust the media, because the media's got a lot of stuff wrong. So are, are there legitimate reasons for skepticism? Yes, we have to do better. But the opposite of skepticism is not anything goes. But why do people trust? You know, it's funny. Uh, last week I was reading through Malcolm Gladwell, the Canadian writer and your bestseller. He's got a new book called Talking to Strangers. It's a really interesting book. And one of the theses of the book is why we believe things, why we get taken advantage of. Like when we're speaking to someone, I don't, the title's not that accurate, but, you know, why did Neville Chamberlain believe that Hitler would adhere to the treaty? He met Hitler. He got it wrong. These are, these are things that Gladwell studies. Why did people believe Bernie Madoff? when he was promising 20-25% returns on a Ponzi scheme. People who knew better believed him. Why did people in the United States believe that Anna Montes was actually working on behalf of the U.S. when she was a Cuban spy? So she, he talks about all this stuff. And, wh- and what he cites is something called truth default theory. We have a truth bias. It's a theory from a guy who, dis- who studies deception named Timothy Levine. And basically, tr- default to truth is like, we want to believe people are telling the truth. We're wired to believe people are telling the truth. We default towards truth. We have a bias to truth because it's beneficial. It leads to cooperation. I, if I run around thinking everyone's a liar, I'm paranoid. I don't trust anyone. I can't work with anyone. Societies are built on our bias that, you know what? You're, you seem truthful. That does make us susceptible to scams, to lies, to spies. But that's the price we pay for a cooperative society. So what? this is a theory that has been widely tested, default to truth. And, and what struck me, because I focus a lot on politics, as you know, is, and, and, and this Gladwell book about default to truth, yeah, there's a lot of scams. People believe all sorts of crap. But it's in our best interest to believe that people are telling you the truth. So we should be skeptical optimists about it. But there are a whole bunch of people in power or who want power who know that we default to truth, who know our propensity is to do that, and so they're abusing that. They're dividing us. They're, they're feeding us half-truths. And they're doing it so they can get into power. And that can be dangerous. And I just I just am stunned what's happening. So I'm, I'm actually doing a deep dive this summer and trust all right um the pope is going to speak we're going to talk about that but we're going to get into hockey canada next and we're going to speak about trust
bringing the story to life. It's Evan Solomon on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Uh, Breaking news right now. The Pope has begun his mass in Commonwealth Stadium in Edmonton. Let's listen in. We are not isolated uh, Joining us here on CTV News Channel, we're listening in now uh, to the Mass uh, that the Holy uh, Father, Pope Francis, is delivering Mass, as you see there. Thousands of people have gathered there at uh, Commonwealth Stadium. Okay, uh, we got the CTV News feed on there. Hang in there. Let's listen in to the Pope. And... Okay, so let, 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 we'll, we'll monitor this. Um, he was reading earlier, but it looks like um, um, he may say more words of apology. This is an institution that has lost trust. And he's here finally after hundreds of years to try to regain it, to apologize. Not just restorative justice, but will there be any kind of retribution? Will he acknowledge the institution of the church was wrong, not just members within it? Will he acknowledge that when he said we need an investigation, that we've had an investigation, Truth and Reconciliation Commission 2007 to 2015? Will he have financial compensation? Will those church members be held for crimes and charged and tried? It's interesting because at this very moment, Hockey Canada is in front of committee on Parliament Hill. And Hockey Canada, which we now know, the news was that they had a a fund that they used members' fees. That's right. Sign your kid up for hockey. And guess what? Those fees were being used for lots of things, including to pay off women who alleged they were sexually abused in 2018 by the junior team, Canadian junior team, and in 2003, yeah, they were just to hush up sexual abuse. You never knew about it. Now their, their, their funding is frozen. Well, Greg Gilhooley knows a lot about this. He was a high-level hockey player. And his book that I've told you about that I thought was, for me, really impacted my life as a, as a hockey coach, as a guy who played hockey, not at Greg's level, but as coach and my son who played, he, he wrote a brilliant, powerful, searing book called I Am Nobody, Confronting the Sexually Abusive Coach Who Stole My Life. Greg went on and is now a lawyer and a survivor of sexual assault, and he joins me now. Greg, always a pleasure, sir. Well, thanks for having me on today, Evan. Can you know the hockey world well. You know how it deals with sexual abuse from your own tragic experience. What is your take on, on Hockey Canada when you heard about this as you've been following this, Greg Gilhooley? Well, I, I think Hockey Canada often wants to do the right thing, but in execution ends up doing the wrong thing. And the problem is the deep-seated hockey culture. Hockey has a problem. Uh, it too often focuses on the logo in front of the jersey and not in getting to the truth or doing the right thing. And even now, even this morning in committee, we hear from Hockey Canada's lawyer Solicitor-client privilege is still being retained. Hockey Canada is hiding the truth and continues to hide the truth. And Hockey Canada acts as if it just wants these problems to go away. Danielle Robitaille uh, of uh, the firm Hennon Hutchison, who was hired by Hockey Canada to investigate the 2018 alleged sexual assault cases, um, is the lawyer you're talking about, I assume. Yeah, and she's doing a great job for her client. And that, unfortunately, is the problem. Hockey Canada is a client. And so you can't really 
call that law firm and those lawyers independent. They are serving a client's needs. Now, they may claim that they have no uh, restrictions on what they can do to try to get to the truth, but they do. And it came out vividly today. There is solicitor-client privilege. There is evidence and information that is being withheld. And it was described to me during my process best by Glenn McCurdy, the Hockey Canada executive responsible for these things. He's now retired, but he was involved in the initiation of, of the investigation that's ongoing. Hockey Canada will do what's best for Hockey Canada. And that's not what's best in the circumstances. How in your, Greg, if you can, take us back to um, your case. How did Hockey Canada deal with you? Well, and this is where it's difficult for me because Hockey Canada was, at first instance, wonderful. I was never going to sue anybody. I simply wanted people to try to do the right thing. And Hockey Canada found out about me. I'd been the anonymous party who had broken the story of Graham James's pardon. And they found out who I was, and they reached out to me. I wasn't in the midst of suing anyone. I hadn't made any threats to sue, and I didn't want to sue anyone. I just wanted to see Graham go to jail again. And they reached out to me, and they initiated a process. And they were absolutely wonderful at the start, and then they were absolutely hell to deal with. And they they had no insight into what it's like to be a victim to go through a process and revisit the pain and, and all of this. In, in the end, they, they helped me. They had me sign an NDA. I'm allowed to talk about what happened to me. But remember, I was dealing with a, a previously convicted serial you know, child sexual predator in Graham. Uh, my understanding is the, the non-disclosure agreement in this instance is very different, and Hockey Canada very much wanted to keep this quiet. So Hockey Canada today said they've got an action plan to um, stop the toxic culture. What do you make of that? Well, so here's the problem. Hockey Canada can do all the right things it wants to do now, but they got it wrong for the past four decades. And if, if anyone needs to put their hand up, say, look, I'm sorry, my bad, we got this wrong, I'm resigning, it's time for me to sit down and listen and learn, it's the Hockey Canada board members and senior executives. They had their chance, and they blew it. They let down Canadians in the game of hockey. They need to step aside and let real people get in there and manage that organization properly. They have lost the opportunity and the moral right to govern. They should no longer be in leadership. It's time for them to step back and learn. You think they should? Now, does that mean taking down Hockey Canada? Or does that mean all the leadership's got to just resign on mass, Greg Yohui? I, I think it's all the leadership resign on mass. I think someone has to come in here and say, look, this is enough. Hockey, hockey should not be the subject of parliamentary committees. Hockey Canada should not be the subject of police investigations. Hockey Canada should not be in a position of 2022 where it's enacting an action plan. Look, I had my hand up 12 years ago when I was going through the Graham James situation. I could see how Hockey Canada was mishandling the sexual abuse situation of Graham James back then. I'm a lawyer. I, I, I've been through the process. I've been through the negotiation of an NDA and financial compensation and sexual assault. And, and I could see firsthand how they were dropping the ball. And so I put my hand up and said, look, I'll volunteer. I'll come in and help. Uh, I haven't had so much as a phone call from Hockey Canada over the past decade about how they could take steps to improve what they're doing. Is that and right? And now they come forward. They've never talked to you, Greg. They've never, like, you've written a book, 
you're a victim of Graham James. You're a Harvard-educated lawyer, and, and they never talk to you? Princeton educated, but uh, Princeton, I'll Princeton, Princeton, no, Princeton, they, they, Ivy they, they, League educated. They, they, no, but I'm serious. I mean, you're a, <laughs> you know, like, like I, you just seem the perfect person to talk to. Yeah, no. the 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 second I signed my non disclosure agreement, the matter was done, and Hockey Canada wanted nothing more to do with me. Which only leads me to believe that they simply wanted me and my issue to go away. They have not contacted me since. The organization said they're going to have changes. They're going to have a, uh, an independent investigator. They're going to have enhanced training that focuses on masculinity, toxic behavior, a code of conduct. What do you make of that? I think those are all great things that should be implemented by different people. So, so here's what I want to do. Um, I'm going to take some calls on this. I don't know, Greg, if you want to stick around um, because people may want to talk to you. I, I'm always wondered why you didn't sue them. Like, I know you didn't, you know, that I know that eventually there was legal things involved, but like I was a hockey coach. I, I, I was so mad when I found out that all the fees that all the parents that I coached and we paid, but a lot of folks struggling to put their kids in hockey. And now their fees are going to this garbage and Hockey Canada was not transparent. So I, I Greg, if you'll stick around, I want to take calls and I want people reaction. Do you trust Hockey Canada? Or, or this is happening in Gymnastics Canada, by the way, as well. one 633 1010 and 71010. The Minister of Sports is going to join us tomorrow. But I want your thoughts on this first. Where you meet the people behind the story. It's the Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. It is so expensive to get your kids in sports, and it's so important. Team sports, individual sports, they're critical. And they're usually run by a lot of volunteers, but there's always an organization at the top. For hockey, the highest profile sport in the country, Hockey Canada rules. Hockey Canada has had their funding stopped because they have a fund, it was revealed, They've used to pay off quietly women and others who have come forward in alleged sexual abuse and they're like, let's make this go away. So you're paying your hockey fees and then they're quietly hush-hushing sexual abuse cases. Gymnastics Canada. There's over 500 gymnasts who are saying we were abused. Who trusts these organizations? Well, Hockey Canada's at committee right now as we speak. And, and something's already emerged out of the committee that is worth mentioning. The Sport Canada, now Sport Canada oversees sports in Canada, including Hockey Canada. The senior director, Michelle Ruist, testified today that in June of 2018, he was told about allegations of sexual abuse involving Team Canada players. But, oh, they didn't bring that to the Minister of Sport. Really? So in 2018, and you knew about this? I've got Greg Gilhooly here. Now, now Greg Gilhooly's a lawyer. Turns out it's from Princeton, not Harvard. Ivy League things always confuse me. But Greg was a high-level hockey player. He was sexually abused by Graham James, that horrific coach. And he wrote, I thought, a searing, powerful, and, and eye-opening book that, uh, called I Am Nobody 
about his experience. And, and I think it's one of the most important chronicles of how coaches insidiously groom athletes who are supposedly under their care. And Greg's with me. And, 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 I, and I've put the numbers out for you to call. one 855 1010 or 7-1010. Do you trust Hockey Canada? What should happen to the leadership of Hockey Canada? But, but Greg, before I get to the first call, and there's lots of them, what do you make of the fact that the Sport Canada director, senior director, testified that he knew about allegations of sexual abuse for Team Canada players in 2018? Well, th- this is the problem, right? It, it, it's the, the culture of not wanting to rock the boat and to, to just kind of hope that these issues go away. And the, the problem is these, these things always end up percolating to problems uh, and a situation where people end up finding out. And so I, I, I will never understand why people don't disclose up the chain all the way. But like, let's, let's think about what happened. And we found out this morning w- within Hockey Canada, uh, Hockey Canada's first call when they found out about this wasn't to the police. It was to retain a law firm. And then once they retained the law firm, the lawyer says, you know, Glenn McCurdy at Hockey Canada, you got to call the police. And Glenn McCurdy's response isn't okay. His response is, I've got, I've got to just check with my superiors first. And that just speaks to the, the culture within these organizations that no one is empowered to do the right thing. You hear about alleged gang rape, you should be instantly on the phone to the police, first, yeah. first and foremost, right? For, forget about anything else. You can deal with your own organization's liability or, or what follows. Call the police. People have to know that. Mm. A, a, a sports executive reporting within the, the, the sporting chain up within the government, that's got to reach the highest levels immediately so that the appropriate steps can be taken. And, and I'll never understand why people just don't get that. Just forget about what your job is. What is your role as a human being? Do the right thing and Do then the, the right. right things will follow. One of the insidious elements as I speak with Greg Gilhooley, a survivor, the author of I Am Nobody, a chronicle of his own abuse at the hands of Graham James, but a lawyer now, um, is these non-disclosure agreements that, that, that are they're essentially weapons of silence. And, and I, we've got a caller in Kitchener. Matt, you want to speak about those, and I'm really glad you are. Matt, welcome to the program. You're on with Greg. What's cooking? One question for the lawyer. Why are these public organizations allowed to do NDAs with kids? To me, it pushes it under the rug, and the police never find out. Great question, Matt. Greg? Depends on the NDA. In my instance, Hockey Canada was very progressive, and the only thing Hockey Canada wanted to keep quiet was the the dollar amount. Hockey Canada didn't hold my hands, or or tie my hands up, rather, and and prevent me from disclosing that I'd been sexually abused. But again, my instance was with a previously convicted sexual offender. An NDA should never, ever be used to keep any victim silent with respect to something criminal or not that is inappropriate. It, it, NDAs cannot be weaponized like that, and any organization that is using an NDA like that is, is morally offside beyond the, the realm of, of comprehension. Uh, Cheryl in Mississauga, you're on with Greg. What, what's your take on all this? I have two boys in hockey, and um, I just don't understand why. I get, I think, what Hockey Canada is doing um, in hiding this is wrong, but I don't understand why we're not bringing more of the parents' involvement in this. I mean, ultimately, it's our job to make our kids good people, 
And so whether or not the sport governs that, I think the parents have a responsibility here as well. In what way, though, Cheryl? The parents to do what in this case? Well, I mean, there's there's nothing they can do at this point. This is already done. But I, I do think that there's so much focus on what Hockey Canada should be doing to make you know, to make this a safer sport, I also think it's a parent's responsibility to have these discussions with their kids and to make sure that they're not sort of having that attitude that they're beyond the law and that, you know, if you're that good, you don't have to worry about the law. I think that's that's a huge part of... Okay, I see what you're, you're... You're saying that the kids who were allegedly involved in these abusive uh, uh, assaults, um, maybe that's a parenting responsibility... Yeah, well, well, Greg, talk about that because there's two sides to this because you don't want to blame the victim or the parents because, you know, when you're when the coach grooms you, the coach is in a position of power. But what about the culture that allowed this allegedly these kind of what sound like gang rapes? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Greg's situation is different and that's a, a, that's a, a coach in a position of power. I just think when you're talking about 17, 18-year-old kids, um, that's not Hockey Canada's responsibility to make them good individuals. It's their responsibility to govern under the... You well, know, the well, it's their responsibility once they hear about it to do something about it. But I want, let's, Cheryl, let's get Greg in there. What's your response to that, Greg? Well, so the problem we have in Canada is that often kids are leaving their homes at 13, 14, and 15 to move away and play junior hockey. And so absolutely, to the extent we can raise better young men and women on a go-forward basis within the family structure, absolutely. No one's going to disagree with that. The problem in Canada is that the culture of hockey is the culture of hockey excellence, and these kids are actually taken out of their families and raised within the hockey environment. And that creates an additional problem because if the hockey culture is bad, hockey has kind of sort of taken over the parenting role for a lot of these junior kids, and especially the the highly talented ones who participate at the national junior hockey team level. If you went through those kids, you'd probably find out that most of them left home when they were 14 and were raised by hockey. Uh, Greg Gilhooley, that is an absolutely powerful point. Um, okay, uh, Greg, first of all, I really thank you. Uh, we're, we, we may come back to you this week as this, these hearings unfold. Um, I can't tell you how much I always appreciate uh, speaking with you, learning from you. That's Greg Gilhooley, author of I Am Nobody. Um, great calls today. Let me take a break on the Evan Solomon Show. The National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations wants to jump on with her reaction to the Pope. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. It was a historic day yesterday, and the uh, Pope in Canada, Pope in Alberta, and he delivered an apology. And I want to play it for you because um, if you're Catholic, if you're Indigenous, or if you're neither of the two, but want this country to go to a better place. This mattered. Here's the Pope. I am here because the first step of my penitential pilgrimage among you is that 
of again asking forgiveness, of telling you once more that I am deeply sorry. That mattered, but he said he was sorry. Good. But he said many Christians supported the colonization mentality of the powers that oppress. Not just many Christians, the church as an institution. And he said the overall effects of the policies were catastrophic. Yes, he demanded an investigation. We've had an investigation. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission, 7,000 people testified. Were his words enough? I'm not trying to undermine them. My question is, is it enough? Were they lawyered? Let's get reaction from the National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, Roseanne Archibald. Uh, National Chief, these are powerful moments. These are historic moments. Thank you for joining us as the Pope is in the midst of a mass in Edmonton right now. What were your reaction to, to yesterday's moment? I Just hearing the tail end of what you said, Evan, I, I agree with you. There, the apology has raised different kinds of questions. First of all, it wasn't on behalf of the Catholic Church. It was specifically... Uh, the evils done by Christians and supporting the colonization assimilation process. He said but members he, of the church, National Chief. He it, didn't say the church. It, he said members exactly. of the church. Those were his words. Yeah. And so, you know, that to me is not a full apology. And I've been asked this question a few times, whether this has to do with legal advice that he's getting um, and whether that's why he's not offering a full apology on behalf of the Catholic Church itself. But it, it is, it, it's actually, we were debating this as well. Um, he hasn't actually met the full PRC call to action 58 because call to action 58 actually says specifically, uh, alludes, uh, speaks to the role of the Catholic Church in this process, in the assimilation and genocide, uh, in those institutions of assimilation and genocide. And so he's kind of partially met it in terms of coming to Turtle Island and offering an apology. Uh, I am deeply sorry. I am sorry. Those are words for certain of somebody who is apologizing, but he's not really fully meeting TRC Call to Action 58, which is a disappointment. Um, and at the same time, those words, uh, I was there, and those words meant something to survivors that were physically present. I saw many people weeping, uh, such an overwhelming emotionally moment, emotional moment for so many survivors that were there. And so it was significant. Um, at the same time, you know, it's, it's not quite fully what we require in terms of moving forward on the healing path forward, particularly. Speaking to the National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, who was there witnessing uh, in Alberta what the Pope said yesterday, uh, Chief Roseanne Archibald. I'm going to read you these words, National Chief. Um, here, here's what he said, because I think it's a very, uh, very key. He says here, um, I ask for forgiveness, which you talked about, he says this, though, um, I ask for forgiveness in particular for the ways in which many members of the church and religious communities cooperated, not least through their indifference, and projects of cultural destruction and forced assimilation promoted by the governments of the time. Uh, 
he says. Okay. And then he says that he wants an uh, he wants a um, investigation. He said uh, this is an important step. And the next important part of this process will be to conduct a serious investigation into the facts of what took place. The TRC's already done this. So what do you make of the fact that he didn't talk about the church? He didn't, you know, when he talks about the colonizing mentality, that was, of course, legitimized by the church's doctrine of discovery 500 years ago. And now he wants an investigation. I thought that already been done. So I, I just want your reaction to that national chief. Well, we have been calling for an actual independent investigation from somebody outside of Canada. Uh, because, you know, Canada can't investigate itself, and neither can the church. And so there is still a need for an independent investigation into the thousands and thousands of deaths of our children in these institutions. And so I was confused by that because I was wondering, is he supporting our call for an independent investigation? Or is he talking about a new investigation specifically against hmm. the the Catholic members of the Catholic Church? Because the TRC itself is not an investigation. Uh, the TRC, uh, the commission uh, was tasked with certain specific um, things that they were going to, you know, produce a document, look into all these matters, give a space for survivors to give their testimonies. But they, it was not an investigation. The TRC is, is a commission. And so I, I don't want people to think that there has been any kind of investigation into the deaths of our children in these institutions. So we, step, we definitely need to get there. And there are questions that he has to answer in relation to that statement. And the Vatican has to answer in relation to that statement. And I cannot obviously speak mm. on behalf of what they're thinking. Speaking of the National Chief, so, so, so National Chief Roseanne Archibald, what needs to happen now? The Pope is still here. It's an important apology. It's, it's not, in your view, a complete... What, what would you like to see happen now? This visit in, in Maspachis that I attended was the first. And so he has Ecaluit, <clears throat> excuse me, Evan, he has Ecaluit and Quebec City where there will be First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people attending. So he has the opportunity to amend his speech, to, uh, you know, speak to whoever, you know, he has to speak to within the Vatican organization about refining that apology and making it, first of all, truly reach TRC Call to Action 58, um, but he also has to rescind the doctrine of discovery, revoke it. We've been asking for that for generations. There's the matter of the full release of all records of these institutions that were run by the church. We need those records to begin to identify the children who were lost, who went missing, who died. We don't have full records on that. And so the church has to release their records. Uh, there, you know, there are a number of things, the issue around the church getting out of uh, their portion of uh, the settlement agreement has to also be addressed uh, properly. And there are reparations that we've asked for in relation to sacred items being returned to communities. We've asked for reparations in terms of diocese lands and churches being returned fully to the First Nations territories upon where they reside. There are a number of 
next steps. And one of the things I did appreciate, though, was he said that this was the first step, that there were more actions that needed to be done. And so what we need to hear before the Pope leaves Turtle Island is to say, you know, my first speech, I talked about some of the next steps and perhaps, again, revising and updating the speech to say, here are some of the next steps that we see. Right. Um, and to have that information released to us. National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, um, Roseanne Archibald, I, I, I know how, how critical your time is at this, this important moment. Thanks for speaking to us across the country, uh, National Chief. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Evan. Take care. Uh, that is the National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Stephen Harper endorses Pierre Polyev. Your thoughts next. politicians and pundits to account. Now more from the Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. He's back. He's back. He's back. Stephen Harper. Stephen Harper has now weighed into the conservative leadership race and to the surprise of absolutely nobody He's endorsing Pierre Polyev to the surprise of absolutely zero people. Now, what's interesting is that Mr. Harper did not, in the last two leadership races, the one that first had Shear, who then flamed out, now he's a senior member of the Pierre Polyev team, and then Aaron O'Toole, who flamed out, Mr. Harper did not put his thumb on the scale, did not announce who he was endorsing. But this time he's just released a short video on the Twitter machine. And Chris, I think you have it there. We've got the clips in there. Uh, Let's play the first one. Here it is. Pierre Poiliev was a strong minister in my government. In the past several years, he's been our party's most vocal and effective critic of the Trudeau Liberals. Yeah, probably true. And then he goes on to say, this is my guy. Here he is. Slow growth, debt, inflation, lack of job and housing opportunities, and the need to fix the institutions that are failing Canadian families. He's proposing answers rooted in sound conservative ideas, but ones adapted for today's realities. He loves them. That is the laying of the hands of these singular, I mean, as someone quipped on the Twitter machine, if the Pope is the most powerful person in the Catholic Church in the conservative movement in Canada, it's Stephen Harper. He lays his hands on you. It's done. Now, why is no one surprised? Because, folks, he don't like Jean Charest. They have, when Charest was going to run last time, Harper's team leaked out that Stephen Harper was not happy about it. 
It goes back to 2007. Now, you might think, 2007? What the? Stephen Harper was the prime minister. He's about to run in the 2008 election. But in the middle of a, a flagging campaign, a desultory campaign, Jean Charest, who was then a liberal premier of Quebec, was trying to win. And Stephen Harper decided to increase transfer payments to the provinces. That may shock you, but he did. $2.3 billion. And that ended up giving Quebec a huge chunk of money in 2007. And guess what? Now, now remember, the provinces were whining. We don't have enough money for services, health care. We need money for services. And then so Stephen Harper changed the formula. More money went. More money went to Quebec after the calculation. And what did Jean Charest promptly do? He offered a $700 million tax cut. And Harper was shocked, kind of hilarious, that a conservative would be shocked that you got a, a, a $700 million tax cut. But Jean Charest essentially said, I need to pick up my campaign. He gave Quebecers a $700 million tax cut based on the new money infused from the federal government, and he squeaked out a minority government. And then how did he repay back Stephen Harper? In 2008, he was absolutely throttling Stephen Harper's cuts to the culture. I think Harper was cutting like $40, $45 million to culture in Quebec. Of course, that's the third rail in Quebec. Charest was the lead critic of Stephen Harper, and Stephen Harper lost seats in Quebec, and he was reduced to five seats in Quebec. They ain't liking each other now. You took the money I gave you, you gave it tax cut to boost your own electoral reform, then you turned on me in the next year. You didn't play nice with me, I'm not playing nice with you. He does not like Charest. Straight up. Doesn't want him to lead the party. Doesn't think this party is the Charest party. Polyev was a minister. Polyev's chief strategist, Jenny Byrne, ran his campaign. So, 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 to the surprise of nobody. But it matters. Stephen Harper is influential. Does it matter to you? 1-855-633-1010 or 710 1-855-633-1010 or 710 Some people say that the race is over. I would be on that camp. I I think once Stephen Harper puts his thumb on the scale, it's almost impossible to see any other outcome but a Polyev victory. Now, I know that those people who don't like Pierre Polyev or who are rooting for Jean Charest are pointing out a poll from Angus Reid that shows they'd be neck and neck, but that, in fact disaffected liberals and NDP would actually help Jean Charest, that he may do a better job winning an election than Polyev. Uh, that may be true. Uh, I don't know how impactful that is. I just think once Stephen Harper lays his hands on you in conservative circles, conservatives are like, that's our guy. Because they have been pining to get back to the Harper years, the pre-2015 years, and they've tried everything and they keep losing to Justin Trudeau. And now Stephen Harper says, oh, my guy, for the first time, I'm going to lay my hands on someone, and, and it is uh, Pierre Polyev. Does this matter to you? Does this endorsement signify everything that's right or wrong with this? 71010 or one eight five five six three three ten ten. Evan, no one has anything to say about Polyev other than he's a pitfall. That doesn't mean he's qualified to be PM. 
you might say nobody has anything. Lots of people have lots to say about him, and they like him, including Stephen Harper. Now, Pierre Polyev's polarizing. I get it. But when you say nobody has anything to say about him, that ain't true either. Uh, democracy is in, not in jeopardy. All they have to do is get trust back to allow questions to be asked and answered. It's easy. Pierre for PM, Evan, 100%. He's winning hands down. Polyev supporters are enthusiastic. And he's touched on something important. I don't know why he, he insists on these other elements, the kind of divisive nature of those, you know, when he's hammering away at the debates. I'm not going to, I think it's silly for him to duck a debate. I understand it probably helps charade, but he shouldn't duck debates. He should win this fair and square. I never thought I'd say this, but gosh, I miss Stephen Harper, Evan. So much of what he said regarding Trudeau has come true. It's comforting to hear someone who actually has an extensive background in education and economics. Sonny in Richmond Hill, what's up? Well, firstly, I must say that Mr. Brown was right, that he was ousted by the Harper uh, the conservatives. And, and further to that, I want to say, and the conservatives are blood suckers, man. They kill their own. And Harper, if you look at it, shall I assume that he was responsible for the ousting of um, the last candidate? Um, ah, Aaron O'Toole. So, no, I would not Aaron assume. I, I would not assume that. But go ahead. Yeah, and 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 if we look at it, you make the story sound that everybody likes Polyev. Who is I, the majority? The but but I didn't. I said he's. Po- I said he's polarizing. I said he's are polarizing. Are conservatives? Then are they more conservatives than liberals in the, or other parties in this province? Do they form the majority? The conservatives. They lost the last two elections, three elections. They have lost it. So don't tell me that the conservatives are such a force just because of Harper, because Harper is polarizing because the conservative. The, 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 the right platform we will inject into the election, the next election, those three years from now. Is okay, going Sonny. To so let me, let me say something. Right to choose. Sonny, I, uh, thanks for the call. I have said Mr. Polyev's polarizing, but, the, but he has very serious supporters. He signed up over 300,000 members. you got to just deal with facts here. Don't, listen, you can be as partisan as you want. But don't let partisanship blind you to facts. This guy's got momentum and he's got support. Now, can he win a general election? I'll predict a lot of things, Sonny, but I ain't predicting the future. Let me take a break. Time in your car doesn't have to be time wasted. Join the evolution of talk radio. This is the Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. It's all about trust today. Pope's trying to reestablish trust with indigenous communities. Hockey Canada saying, trust us, we'll fix it all. We'll deal with sexual abuse stuff. We're not going to just sweep it under the carpet. Leadership race. Trust me. Trust me. Trust Stephen Harper. He, he's supporting Pierre Polyev. He's the best guy. Maybe you do trust some of these folks. Danielle Smith's running to be the premier of to replace Jason Kenney. 
Premier of Alberta. She was talking to a naturopath and she said, well, you should trust me to lead you. You should trust me to be in charge of health care, the largest part of our budget. Oh, and if you have cancer, uh, listen to the, listen to my theory. Absolutely. Once you've arrived and got stage four cancer and there's radiation and surgery and chemotherapy, that's an incredibly expensive intervention, not just for the system, but also expensive in the toll it takes on the body. But when you think about everything that built up before you got Mm -hmm. to stage four in that diagnosis, that's completely within your control. And there's something that you can do about that that is different. Mm, Thanks for that medical advice. I, I forgot about your medical degree, Danielle. Oh, you don't, you, you don't have one. You're a talk radio person. Oh, so I didn't know that talk radio people. Let me, folks, so when you get can't, yeah, no, sorry, I'll stop myself because I know nothing about that. I didn't spend years in medical school telling people that, yeah, if you're in stage three cancer, it's completely within your control. Now, Danielle Smith's hitting back because everyone's appalled by this. And she says that the, the, the left, the NDP, are, are politicizing something as serious as cancer. Like she's on the offense now. That She's like, don't you understand diet and exercise can really help? It's like, of course. Di- but, but the truth is people have chemotherapy and surgery and radiation before stage four. Maybe she didn't know that. No surprise, not a doctor. Maybe telling cancer patients that everything's in your control, a little insulting to cancer patients, but that's okay. Now she's just on the offense. Like people are twisting your words. Like take some response. I thought being conservative was about personal responsibility, not just a victim narrative and, 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 and going on the assault. Just take responsibility. You know what? I chose my words poorly. I did not mean to blame the victims and cancer patients. I don't know that. I I, I trust doctors. Let me just retract. Simple. No one's going to harm you for saying, but instead it's like, oh, you guys have, you're, you're making me the victim. You're just, just personal responsibility. It's okay to say, sorry. It's okay to say, I chose my words poorly. It's not the end of the world. We're not perfect. We're not perfect beings. You're going to make some mistakes in the world. I just want a politician to say, it's okay. I made a mistake. I wasn't perfect. I learned. I said the wrong thing. It's like, oh my gosh, you said the wrong thing. No, that's it. Just be a normal person about that. Now, somebody called me when I was talking about Stephen Harper, and he said that I'm being cynical. And uh, Doug, in I think it's New Jersey. Uh, Douglas, what's up? I, I want to take the call. I, I like when I get called out. I got to, you got, you know, talk about personal responsibility. Call me out, my brother. Absolutely, brother. Um, I think that Stephen Harper led us through a terrible time economically, which you obviously recall. In 2008 to 2013, you know, um, he was cutting taxes. He was growing employment roles. Um, uh, He spoke well for Canada on behalf of Canada. Um, I look at Trudeau from here, and I'm embarrassed every day when I read or see him on TV uh, speaking. Um, I just, your endorsement of Pollyer by Harper... Sort of just says yes. He's he's the he's the man, but it doesn't. You don't describe why to the younger viewers or listeners. Um, you know why is he the man? He's he's been a great prime minister. Right. Uh, okay. Can can I ask you something? Let me let me ask you some questions. I, I, that's your view, and 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 he was a very successful prime minister. He lost a 2015 election. I, I don't know if it's cynical. He he obviously likes Pierre Polyev. And his endorsement matters because he led the conservatives for 10 years in power. Uh, They'd been in the wilderness since then. 
But let me just ask you, what was the annual rate of GDP growth under, under uh, nine and a half years of Stephen Harper? I'm not going to profess that. I know. I'm just just saying it was one point. It was one point six percent. Okay. And and globally, what was it? What was it? I'm not. not, No, no. I I agree. He he led through tough times, but I'm just saying. I'm not trying to cut up Mr. Harper. Believe me. Uh, I'm just trying to say. Let's be. I just want to be clear. Like uh, when you say, you know, Trudeau's an embarrassment of Harper. Like they both. Trudeau has had to lead through COVID. I get it. And Stephen Harper had to lead to the economic meltdown. But it's not like now. The difference is the deficit. Harper led, he, he, he built up a massive spending deficit, but then he paid it down after, right? It started to come down. But his, his GDP growth was less than 2%. It was 1.6%, right? Did he have a job creation? His, because of that, it was the slowest created, growth of jobs. jobs. I mean, it wasn't a great atmosphere. He created over a million jobs from 2008 to 2013. That's a lot of jobs. Yeah. Can, can, can I give you the, uh, some facts on that, too. I, I looked this up, and I just want to make sure you get the annual growth. Now, again, there's reasons for this, but if you look at annual growth of jobs, it was probably, I hate to say this, it was about 1% of employment growth. If you compare that to Mackenzie King, Prime Minister Saint Laurent, Diefenbaker, Pearson, Trudeau, Mulroney, Crutchham, Martin, that was the lowest, the lowest since 1946. I'm just telling you, that's the fact. Listen, Evan, you know, you know as well as I do that exterior sort of externalities in the economic world play a big role in how much he's able to do as Prime Minister. You know that. Now, how well would he have done in, 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 in the good times during, during the... During I don't the, know, but that's, a, yeah. but that's a counter... I, listen, that's a counterfactual. Every single... Um, Prime Minister has to live in their times. He had, look, he lived through a bad time. I'm not blaming him. I'm just saying that uh, the, you know, there was not massive job growth. I'm just, I'm just giving you the facts. Was the employment rate any, any higher? It was lower. I'm just, I'm just telling you that, that like, look, I, I get it. He lived through a tough time and we've been through some tough times and, and he, and he handed a, a, he did some good things and some bad, but I just, I, I'm just trying to deal with the numbers. I'm not trying to, to, to throw shade on the guy, but those you are know, the facts. Look, 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 the liberals promised to get rid of the GST, right? Sheila Kopp, she did nothing of the sort. The red Tories were horrible. I'm not going to pretend they weren't, but Harper was refreshing. And then just, just like you put the, don't put the numbers aside. He, I, you can see his numbers stand up to, to uh, scrutiny. They just do, given the circumstances of the economic situation he found himself in. But he was a great man, the way he carried himself. Trudeau is such an embarrassment for just seeing him from the, the, from the television in New Jersey here. It is such an embarrassment. Canadians, what are you doing? Get rid of him. Get rid of Trudeau. He is such a child. He is, he's well, Lloyd Christmas, dumb and dumber. He is a... People, please, what are you doing all right well but you now i appreciate the call look partisans are always welcome on the show um look mr harper lost to him in 2015 and conservatives like they've tried uh andrew shear lost aaron o'toole lost they didn't take ron ambrose maybe that was a mistake uh and now they're going to try mr polyever mr charay uh likely i think mr polyever uh let me take another call though um but yeah they they gotta realize that look Trudeau's gonna have been in power for seven eight nine maybe nine years, you know, like dismissing the guy as a moron. You, maybe it's stopped time. Don't underestimate the guy anymore. If you're a conservative, you've got, you're gonna go through almost a decade without power. Maybe underestimating the guy that has beat. You know, look, he's knocked out Harper. He's knocked out O'Toole. He's knocked out Shear. He's knocked out Mulcair. I mean, I'm not saying he's good or bad. I'm just saying he's effective.
Um, Peter, uh, I got a minute here. Peter from Laval. Yeah, well, I don't uh, uh, value any st- uh, statement coming from the uh, previous uh, uh, Conservative Party leader, Harper. I think this Pierre is not a right candidate, in my opinion. Uh, if I take a broom, I will sweep the whole Conservative Party, and I will bring some new fresh blood, and I think Jean Charest will be a far better choice of winning the election, hmm. and uh, that's the way I feel uh, uh, about this. So I don't give any credit to Harper. Oh, yeah, I appreciate the call. Yeah, look, I don't know what these endorsements mean. I think in conservative circles it, it's significant. The question is, does it broaden? I don't know. Uh, okay, Peter, thanks for the call. Um, okay, we got to take a break. We always try to end on a happy note. Forget the politics. Would you like to meet maybe the next Olympic champion in swimming? Wait till you meet our next guest. Instant access to real people, real stories. The Evan Solomon Show is on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Do you remember the name Penny Oleksiak? She's been on the show, actually, the great Olympic uh, swimmer. Like She's incredible. Now, I don't think you understand that Penny Oleksiak, who's won seven medals, okay, swam a race that's called the 100-meter butterfly, and she broke a record. And it's like, okay, Penny Alexiak, that's like the best. Now along comes a 14-year-old, oh yeah, at 14, named Maxine Clark of the University of Calgary Swim Club. And she's swimming in the 13 to 14-year-old women's 100-meter butterfly at the 2022 Canadian National Championships on Monday. And... I don't know. Maxine just decided, you know what? I'm going to smoke Penny Alexiak's record. And she's the first person under uh, 13 and 14 to ever do it under the age of, or sorry, under the uh, one minute mark. Yeah. She just, I, I think Penny was what, uh, Sam? 17 when she got the record. Penny Alexiak was 17. Maxine Clark, 14. And that is why we decided we better have her on because. We better get to know her now before she becomes a superstar. And Maxine Clark joins us now. Hi, Maxine. Hi. Holy smoke show. Just kicking some butt in the pool. How was that? Um, it was fun. I love swimming and I love the water and I just like trying to see what I can do. Okay. Did you have any sense that you could beat Penny Alexiak's record? No, I never thought. I never really heard about it my friend showed it to me like a couple months ago and she's like oh you should try and get that and i'm like yeah that's really fast i do not think that is something i can get but (laughs) i was really surprised so so maxine you're 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 14 so what are you going into grade like nine yeah okay so you just finished grade eight you're swimming yeah for you, to give me a sense of who, like, what Penny Alexiak represents for you. I mean, is she on the sort of the Mount Olympus of swimmers? Yes, she's an amazing person. I've looked up to her for a really long time. Um, she's incredibly nice. I've talked to her before, and she's also insanely fast. 
But she's not that fast. <laughs> <laughs> she's insanely fast, but she's not that fast. So when you found out that you beat her, like, take me that, because that's like, that's a psychological mountain to climb, my friend. What was that like? I was honestly so surprised. My friends were like, yeah, your face was just priceless. Um, but I touched the wall and I was like, is that really my time? I kept on looking back to check. I didn't think that was actually it. I was like, I think the scoreboard messed up or something. But, I, yeah, I was overall really surprised and really happy. Now, and I don't want to correct. I think I said Penny was 70. She was 14 when she had that record. But you beat yeah. her by point seventeen seconds. In swimming, is that a lot? Yes, that is quite a bit, honestly. And it doesn't sound like that much, but in the pool, you can really see that difference. But it's still not too much, but it's noticeable. It's noticeable, man. And so, 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 Maxine, tell me about the swim itself. Like, you obviously did something you never even thought you could do. You're breaking one minute, which is massive. Uh, tell me about what happened in that swim. Uh. Before, I wasn't too nervous. I was happy with my swim in the morning, and I didn't think it was going to get much better. I was like, it's okay. I'm just going to swim how I can swim, and we'll see what happens. Uh, my friends were obviously like talking about it, and they thought I could do it, but I wasn't too sure. Um, I was a little bit nervous, but I more just like wanted to have a fun time and not worry about it too much. And, you know, I would just swim, and I like to close my eyes when I swim, so... <laughs> I was just closing my eyes and swimming along, but so so you beat this now now so you get fifty nine point eight six that's that's like monster Penny Alexiak uh, in twenty fifteen had a minute point zero three so 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 as you say in swimming that's a lot but like mm-hmm. let's give me the Olympics like if you ever make it to the Olympics um, is everybody under a minute then by that time is like you got to be under a minute all the time yes definitely. I mean, I'm not sure, but I think the Olympic standard time is, like, way under a minute for sure. Way under. Because the eight, at the national championship, the woman that won the 18 and over race was slower than you. One minute, point oh two. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. You're like, that means you would have won the 18 and over. You know, if you win the 18 and over, you're basically, you could, you could, be on the Canadian Olympic team. Yes, that would definitely be something really cool that I would definitely like to try and do. Would a time of under a minute actually get you in the running to be on the Olympic team for this event? Um, yes, I think I'd have to go a little bit faster um, because there are only a certain number of swimmers for each event that Canada can take. So I definitely have to be a little faster, but... Um, I'm glad with what I had, and I think it could for sure in the future. So you're 14. Like, you think you can get faster, Maxine? I hope so. (laughs) People don't realize what it takes to be a swimmer. Like, how early are you up in the morning to get to the pool, usually? Uh, 4, 4.30. You get up at 4 or 4.30 in the morning? I just yeah. want people to realize this. How many days a week would you do that? Uh, two to three. So you're up at 4, 4.30. How long are you in the pool for? Two hours. And then you go to school, right? Mm-hmm. So you've already been up at 4, 4.30. You swim for two hours. You're throwing it down. Now, do you go back to the pool after school? 
Yeah, I go straight back to the pool after school. I don't go home. Right. For how many hours? Uh, two to three. So then, so you're basically four to five hours a day in the pool, and then you do your yeah. homework after that, right? Yes. <laughs> so you're like an Amazon. You're an incredible person. You're 14. Like, I just want people to realize you don't break these records because you're good. You, you have to be good, plus you have to be insanely dedicated. Do you ever take a day off? You're 14 and just like your friends are hanging out. Do you ever say like, God, I wish I could hang out. Are you just like, you know what? I just want to be in the pool. Yeah, it definitely is hard, but most of my friends are at the pool. So that's a lot of extra motivation, but it is hard when like my friends from the pool want to do something, but I have to focus on school because obviously school and my academics are a higher priority for me than swimming is because there's something I'll have with me forever, but it is hard to balance. Are you, are you going for the Olympics? Is that a goal? Yes. Yeah, that would definitely be a really cool experience. And it definitely is one of my goals, but I don't know. It's, it's on my list of goals, but I don't know how high up it is because my parents and I want to focus on academics first. Well, how about this? You're already a role model. Uh, I, Maxine Clark, folks, remember that name. She's the youngest Canadian to do the 100-meter butterfly, which is a crazy, in under a minute. Uh, she beat Penny's record at that age. You're on the right track. You've got the work ethic. Congratulations. Just enjoy the moment. Soak it in, Maxine. And what a pleasure to meet you. We hope for many more. Thank you. Thank you so much. Congrats. Congrats. Folks, she's 14. She's up at 4 or 4.30 to swim. You want to win? You got to put in the work. That was inspiring. That was cool. Thank you, Maxine. Thanks for listening to The Evan Solomon Show. We'll speak tomorrow.